0: Well, Brad, you know,
1: thanks very much for joining me on the Airtame podcast. I know we've been trying to do this for a long time. Yeah, I've known you for well, not a long, long time, but you know, I first met you a few years ago um, uh, in your prior role, and then you went off to Harvard, and now you're with Interfinancial. So it feels like a long time. Anyway, uh, perhaps just to get us started, just tell us a little bit about your professional responsibilities.
2: Thanks, Richard, and thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, it has been a little time in coming. Uh, So currently I'm a director at Interfinancial, a corporate advisory business that specialises in mergers and acquisitions typically, Um, mainly on the sell side for founder-owner businesses that are coming through their stages of growth, but we do a fair bit of buy-side work for larger organisations, both in Australia and internationally. It's an Interfinancial's 30-year-old business uh, based here in Brisbane. Um, and uh, And we also do I guess a fair bit of work in the corporate advisory space to actually help businesses corporatize and grow either through strategy work or interim executive work or outsource corporate finance and those type of things. Um, so we get to work with you know, great entrepreneurial businesses uh, across Australia who are doing amazing things in their in their spaces, but um, we get to help them in an area that perhaps not everybody has had a lot of experience in and That's you know, how to value their business, how to grow that value, and then how to find exit opportunities or capital investment opportunities okay. for them.
1: Okay, great. And it's one of those industries where there's a lot of different words. Some of them kind of mean the same things and some of them mean different things. Yes. So, private equity, venture capital, corporate advisory. They're kind of loosely sort of tied into one industry. But you know, in many respects, they mean quite different things. So, just give us a sense of the scope of the different services that you guys deliver.
2: Yeah, so we would call ourselves or place ourselves more in in the mid-market. So I guess as a business starts, um, it typically, you know either make some money from the from the off the the starting block which is great or sometimes it loses a bit of money on its way to growing and the venture capital guys are the guys that will take larger risks or girls will take larger risks earlier on in a, in a company's life because the returns for that investment are high so they'll they'll invest earlier and take a bit more risk, but they'll also get a bit more return. So that's a bit of a horse race where they, they might buy in a six or eight companies and and know that only two or three of them will really be crackers. Um, as those businesses go through that, that trajectory and then start making some money and growing and finding a place for their business and finding that niche that gets them going, um, that's when I guess the risk is out, but also some of the returns start to come down a little bit. And that's where you sort of see private equity companies invest. And those kind of that's the kind of place where we would we would start getting involved as those companies come through that threshold, um, and so that means other trade players and private equity companies are a little bit more involved in those businesses at that period, and so that's when we see that mid market, you know, that sort of probably ten million dollar valuation of a business through to sort of up to two hundred million dollars, I guess, and then. Beyond that, that's when listing and those type of things start to become a little bit more sensible a thing to do because capital can be gained from, from sort of mums and dads and institutional investors, and therefore um, you know the returns become lower again, but the risks come down as well. So on that curve, we're in that middle market. We're not in the real early stage, and we're not in the in the late stage um, public markets, but we're in the private markets in between.
1: Okay, and and so largely. An organisation would come to you, whether they've been referred or um, uh, you've come up on their radar and they're saying to you, Brad, we want to take our business to the next level Um, and you're offering the advice and the structuring and support to enable them to realise those outcomes.
2: Yeah, so sometimes uh, we have people coming to us, obviously, for lots of different reasons, but um, companies that have created some value, um, sometimes they want to... liquidate some of that value actually capture some of that value sometimes they need money to grow to the next level sometimes they've got some structural things that they want to sort out sometimes some of the shareholders are at different stages in their life and one in and out but typically in private companies there's always something sort of going on that requires those those slight adjustments either to the capital structure um, for, for growth or for consolidation or whatever it might be and so we help businesses assess their options and so one of the pieces of work that we do that's very popular is what's called a strategic options analysis, Mm -hmm. which is basically sit down and talk to all of the shareholders and sometimes there's one and sometimes there's 12 and and we actually understand what they want and, and probably more importantly why they want what they want. Sometimes one shareholder will have their whole net worth and their family's whole net worth as their shareholding in a company and the shareholder next to them has 12 other businesses and seven pieces of property and their investment in that company isn't really a big deal to them. And so yeah. when they're looking at the future of that kind of business, the two shareholders have obviously got different objectives for their futures and different, um, I guess, assessments of the value of, that, of their shareholding. And so we're able to be able to provide shareholders with with options. And we do that by firstly valuing their business and comparing them to their their peer group and letting them know of the 20 factors that we think uh, accrete to valuation, which are the the five that they're better at than everybody else and which are the five that they perhaps could improve to improve improve their value. And usually there's about 10 of those 20 that they're as good as everybody else in their market. And so we, we actually help them understand their value. We actually understand where that value is coming from. And then we will often give them a, a bit of a sense from an investor's lens by talking to the investment market of private equity firms and large international players or large domestic competitors or small competitors or supply chain, or whatever, um, you know what what their value of that business is really worth in an investor's eyes, and what it helps it helps those businesses do is to grow value based on what an investor would see, as opposed to mm-hmm. sometimes if you own a business or you're running a business, um, you think you're adding value to your business by growing it, but you might not be growing it particularly in the right direction or mm-hmm. with the right uh, view in mind.
1: And, and so, bringing uh, that, so you know, you you as the owner you're putting your attention on what are the attributes of your business that you love, you know, and making these sort of hard decisions where an investor is looking at, you know, from more of a, you know, a head decision.
2: Yeah, so an investor, you know, is looking at something from a strategic value, what value it could bring to them if they bought it, um, and that's usually, you know, future cash flows, but sometimes people can see strategic value in a business that that the owners and the founders can't see because they're coming, they're from a different industry or whatever it might be. So going out and getting a cross-section of investors and bringing that lens to a business's owner and shareholder um, really allows for value to be driven in a particular direction that adds the most value. We sort of have a saying that not every dollar of EBITDA is created equally and, and some create more value um, for the, the shareholders than others. And so helping businesses find where the value creation is is best focused and being able to deliver that. We do an awful lot of that, and sometimes we do that right at the end when there's a transaction or an investment to be made. But often we go on that journey for several years with the business helping mm-hmm. them in all sorts of areas.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, let's uh, let's come back and talk more about that a little later in the conversation. But for now, I've, you've had such a, uh, an interesting career taking you to where you are now. Why don't we go back to where it all began and tell us a little bit about you know where you were born and mum and dad growing up, etc. And then. Uh, Let's uh, have a sort of a wander through your career journey.
2: Sure, mate. Uh, so, um, Melbourne-born and bred, uh, grew up in the western suburbs of Melbourne, where um, it's quite a multicultural part of Australia, uh, where a lot of uh, European migrants landed. Uh, both my folks are Scottish, um, and so there's a bit of a, a British enclave in the in the western suburbs of Melbourne where I grew up. Uh, went to a, a high school uh, not too far from from home, and then. Uh, went to Melbourne Uni to study engineering and uh, actually got kicked out um, after a year and a bit. Um, the, the lecturer that was uh, helping me through that period told me that if I was asking questions like I was asking, I was, I was in the wrong course. Um, <laughs> and uh, so um, got a taste of failure early in my, in my career, shall I say? What did, did
1: mum and dad do?
2: Um, look, I think they were, Really worried, but I guess my parents have always sort of left me to find my own path. Right. Um, and I so,
1: mean, what, what did they do for a living?
2: Oh, sorry. Um, Dad's an electrician, and right. uh, Mum was a secretary at a at a medical clinic. Okay. Um, and so, pretty uh, humble beginnings. But uh, and so I'm excited
1: about you being an engineer?
2: Yeah, I was the first kid in the family to go to uni, so there's um, a bit of pride in that. Um, right. I probably wasn't the first one to finish my degree. It took me a little while to get my degree done, but uh, um, but yeah, it was um, yeah. They they worked really hard to get me a start that um, that got me into uni and mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, I left uni to, to get a job with um, with John Holland Construction's actually. So I took a job as a cadet estimator in their um, in their head office in Melbourne and worked for some really fabulously uh, experienced. Uh, estimators that basically bid the work that John Holland went off and won all around the world. Um, and so I guess I was working in an office, you know, counting valves and flanges and, and bits of pipe and, and those sorts of things for about a year in John Holland's office and doing a lot of photocopying and counting. And I guess I, I realised that I wasn't going to be able to continue my career unless I went back and got my degree. Mm-hmm. And also, um wasn't If I didn't get site experience, I probably wasn't going to be much of an estimator long-term. So then uh, for about the next three years, I, I got sent all around Australia doing uh, work at Longford Gas Plant, at Loyang Power Station, at um, BHP's plant in, in Port Hedland, um, worked all around the country uh, as a field engineer in construction, even though I didn't have a degree, uh, but was doing, you know, material takeoffs, so I was doing... Um, Stall work, uh, quality assurance, safety work, whatever I could do on plants to get some field experience. And I guess realised and that set me in pretty good stead through my whole engineering career is, is that I had real hands-on experience. I actually knew why engineers drew things. that were so people could build things so that things could work. And, and so I was able to sort of be a reasonable project engineer and project manager so I, I went into that side of the business because I actually had that practical experience. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, So I left John Holland after four years because I was doing a lot of travel and wanted to settle down and start a family or get married and those sorts of things. Um, So I continued my degree by correspondence, by um, distance learning through Deakin University. Um, And it took me about another six years, but I got my degree while I was working Um, and Became uh, with, I I left John Holland, went to Worley, um, or actually Worley ABB at the time, and spent 17 years with Worley. Um, I started as a procurement officer. I did um, purchasing, expediting, materials control. I did a bit of engineering once I got my degree, some turnaround management, then construction management, then project management, and then went into managing a portfolio of projects and larger projects, and then into managing uh, large clients uh, and then managing businesses. And then I, I guess, you know, fast forward 17 years, I was leading Wally's business in Singapore, the Philippines, and Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, which is a couple hundred million dollar P&L for, um, for that region. Um, and then left Wally um, and went to Asenko, which is a a, a business that's based in Brisbane, uh, doing engineering, procurement, construction work, just like Wally did, um, pr- primarily in the mining sector, um, and I led uh, the business in Australia, Asia and Africa for three years, um, through a, a period of you know, pretty tough uh, time, it was a bit of a turnaround circumstance, but um, Senco is a fabulous business, does, does some great things all around the world and and is, is thriving now. Um, and as you said, I, I went off to, uh, to study overseas and I guess had a bit of an epiphany while I was away. Um, we can talk about that if you'd like. Um, but uh, just I guess I decided to spend a little bit more time doing what I, I love doing. And um, there was parts of what I was doing that I loved and parts of what I was doing, I was doing that I didn't. Uh, looked for those opportunities and uh, found uh, Interfinancial and Sharon Doyle and I've been there ever since um, doing some, some really fun stuff.
1: Okay, excellent. Well, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about that because you know certainly um, Asenko, you know, Give us a sense of the scope of that role. How many how many people and what sort of revenue were you in charge of?
2: Yeah, so I guess the business went from you know, without being um, given too much away. There's probably a, you know between 100 and 200 million dollar revenue in that in that region through that time. Um, it was coming off a period where um, you know, the uh, several years of commodity prices and contractions that occurred in the mining and oil and gas field, uh, fields, which Senko was highly um, directed towards. We went from being a public company to being a private company. Private equity firm acquired us, resource capital fund during the, during that period. So fascinating opportunity to be part of the privatization of a listed business um, and the difference between leading a pro- a public company and leading a, a private company. Um, also, you know, in, in re-establishing a balance sheet and, and building a business um, back up um, through a growing market after you know several years of decline, um, and then you know, we we changed our model in some ways uh, into what we did and what we didn't do, um, um, and so that was probably the fastest learning I've I've ever done in a period of time. It was it was an amazing opportunity, very uh challenging and at times you know it, it took a few years off my life and i've got a few more gray hairs than i used to but um um you know worked with some fabulous people and learnt um, a great deal from from the people at a mm-hmm.
1: and so then you go to harvard and you do what many would regard as the holy grail of uh ongoing professional development their eight-week leadership um residential program yes and uh so tell us a little bit about that experience and and about the epiphany that you had
2: um yeah so the the course is amazing it's like drinking from a fire hose um there's 170 people in the class um and all of them are exceptional people um within those 170 you're broken up into living groups of eight um in my living group there was a CEO of a Malaysian bank, a major general in the Israeli Defence Force, um, CFO of a dairy company in uh, Norway, uh, there was a CEO of a port in Scotland, and um, so an incredibly diverse group of talented executives um, that have had uh, amazing careers in their own rights. Um, and the process you go through is uh, you use a case study method, so you get a, a, a study about a particular company at a particular time that had a decision to be made, and there's some theory behind that decision and how to make that decision. You read up on it, you discuss it with your eight classmates, uh, and then you discuss it with uh, this the half of the 170, and you have one of the best professors in the world um, to talk to you about, take you through that. And then half the time we actually had the protagonists of that, of that decision. So the CEO of that company at that time is sitting in the room with you and has been invited back to the to the classroom wow. to actually explain what decision they actually took and why they took that decision. And so it's an incredibly rich program. Mm-hmm. Um, you study. Eight sort of themes of leadership, ethics, governance uh, branding marketing, those sorts of things, so you learn a lot about a lot of stuff in very quick succession um, and then there is a there 's a theme in there of um, self awareness and so you get assigned a coach and there 's a bunch of diagnostics you do before you go there and and I guess um, yeah the, the epiphany sort of started with with that process where my coach on you know pretty much the second or the third day read all the diagnostics and sat down with me and said, well, what is all this telling you? And um, I sort of had prepared an answer for him and I gave it to him and he said, well, that's, that's not it, is it? Um, you know, tell me the truth. And, and so then I gave him my second answer that I prepared thinking that he was probably smarter than everybody I thought I'd, I'd give this answer to. And um, and then he said, well, that's not true either, is it, mate? And um, and he said, we're just going to sit here until, you know, you start telling me the truth and start being honest with yourself because we're not going anywhere unless you really sort of tell me what 's really going on and um, yeah it was it was pretty confronting, you know, almost sort of in the fetal position in the corner kind of stuff it was it was right back to you know a lot of stuff that I was probably you know kidding myself about or, or thought I was aware of
1: and, and wasn 't um, so what, 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 what was she looking for the truth about
2: uh, I just think that uh, a lot of us as executives um, uh, rationalize things you know mm-hmm. we, we rationalize why we did what we did or we rationalized it, you know, and, and we talk and we see it with the shareholder sometimes as well. They'll talk about what's good for the business, but you know, actually it's, it's quite thinly veiled that it's actually what's right for them. And, and, and so, and that's perfectly fine. But if you don't acknowledge that, then you go off and you have battles and you, and you say things that actually mm. aren't real. Uh, and so he was just breaking through that. And I, I you now i saw the faces of the other guys that walked out of it and he was doing the same with all of them as well i think that all of us you know have that sort of little bit of we we think we're self aware and we think i our know ourselves but there's always more to learn and there's always more to understand and and i guess um you know for me the the results sort of said that um you know, the confidence was a, a big thing for me and that um that perhaps um i had uh the people around me sort of assess my performances Probably better than I'd assessed myself, and I, all I felt was a a sense that I was sort of disappointing everybody equally all the time, mm. and and, um, and that really sort of came down to the fact that I actually had to give myself a bit of a break, and I had to really get down to, you know, why is it that you feel this way, and it was because probably. I was doing a few things that I that I didn't love and that was mm-hmm. taking energy and, and confidence mm-hmm. from me mm-hmm. and and I was getting confidence from the stuff that I did love, but I probably wasn't doing enough of that. And so for me, the big fork in the road was, you know, the, the great thing was is when I got to the end of that conversation, the, the coach said to me, look, you know, you're in the best school in the world or one of the best schools in the world. You're going to learn all of this great stuff for the next two months. Um, you know, why don't you use the next two months to work out what, what you'd love to do with the rest of your career. You know, you're, mm. you're 42, you're not 82. That's, mm. um, what do you want to do with the rest of it? And and that was really where the epiphany, as I call it, came from, mm. is, is that um, I got to really get a deeper sense of what I loved uh, and what gave me energy and what took my energy and decided to spend more time, you know, with, on things that gave me energy than things that took my energy and um, yeah, I have have came from that course with a lot of confidence and a, and a lot more self-awareness and have been able to set a you know a very um, uh, direct course for the, the kind of things that I'm that I love doing and, and I'm doing it
1: now-hmm oh that's uh, yeah you've participated in champions forums for a little while and I'd be interested I've... to talk to you a bit about that at the end of this uh, podcast but um, uh, I mean that's what uh, we come to realize you know whether you're 42 or 52 at some point, It's this case of saying, okay, I've been doing what I think society would have me do. You know, my parents would have me do or my family would have me do. And eventually you get to a point where it's, well, what would the gods have me do? You know, what is the life that I would love to lead? And so it's probably not the kind of revelation you'd normally expect to get when you're going and doing a, you know, a management course at Harvard, which is very sort of left brain and so on. But to get that kind of spiritual enlightenment moment, um must have been in some respects a bit of a shock
2: yeah look I, I think that uh probably underlying you sort of know that there's something there that you need to sort of pick at. but I, i've heard you say before that um you, know, you spend your whole life climbing up a ladder and realize it's you know up against the wrong wall um mm-hmm. and and so yeah the, i think that uh you know, there was a lot of people i think that went to that course with uh you know um I, they've played their first 20 years of their career like it's a video game where you're going through each stage and you're sort of trying to clock each stage and get to that next stage and then and then you're sort of wondering well you know is this you know I've made all these little choices but you know if I really had a a big choice to make is this where I would choose to be and um and so I think it was the perfect time that I had enough experience and and had achieved enough to be able to be in a headspace to be able to do that and so um in some ways um you know it would have been a shame to go all that way just to learn stuff that you know i could swallow a book and and learn it you know had to be a little deeper than that and i think that they've done a lot of work harvard over the last five or ten years putting more emphasis on on self-development and growth in Mm. that course because um i think you know when you get to a certain point in your career that's probably the help that you need more than the the theoretical stuff
1: Mm, yeah Yep. Um, now, mind you, we may all be living in a computer game. It could just be. A <laughs> but uh, we won't talk about that right now. It's here. a whole different podcast, I think, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh That's one have after a couple of glasses of wine, I think. So, um, okay, so you come back and you're going, what do I want to do when I grow up? This inner financial opportunity, how did that present itself to you?
2: Uh, so after leaving Asenko, I, I started my own advisory business and that was really just leveraging my networks to, um, to well to pay uh, the bills, to be honest, in the first instance. And, um, but I think that it was, uh, it was an opportunity for me to draw a line under the work that I had done till now and actually uh, speak to people um, about what I wanted to do and, and the future I wanted to create for myself in my career. Um, and without being too uh, gracious towards you, your advice in that period of um, you know, targeting the kind of organisations that you want to work for and the people that you want to work with and the people you want to learn from, um, and then, I guess, being clear about how you make connections with those people if you didn't know them and how to get there, and then also being able to, to practice in things that you, you know, but also make a concerted effort to be in the things that you want to be in towards you, you know, to be drawn to. Um, I I used a lot of that for that next year. Um, I took on some assignments with different companies, advising boards, uh, helping people deliver projects and um, helping businesses, you know, turn around or or the like. Um, And through that process, I met into financial and uh, a lot of the boxes I was looking to to tick were there. Um, You know, it was the right size of company, Um, the people in the business I had a lot to learn from. Uh, they did the kind of work that I love doing and they could see some value in someone like me joining them because I had some skills and experience that perhaps wasn't um, you know, uh, already replicated in their business. Um, and so it married up and really the connection was made through uh, Michael Renshaw who works for AECOM in America but um, Michael, great Brisbane boy that uh, you know put us uh uh, Sharon and I together to, to meet um, and then did a little bit of work for Sharon and was still doing my own business. And then as as um, more work came through from into financial, I slowly sort of uh, lent in to that work um, and then my my standalone business became sort of redundant and we folded it, that practice in and, and uh, the rest is history.
1: Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the first... Uh, opportunities for us to work together when you joined in financial is said you would uh, essentially were acting in a CEO capacity to support um, uh, some founder owners uh, take their business a 10-year-old business from what had been a very successful entrepreneurial organization to the next level you know um, that might be a sort of a good illustration perhaps of some of the type you've of work that you're doing, Brad, and maybe, uh, you know, to, you, because you spoke earlier in the conversation, you know, some scenarios, but it'd be good for people listening to get a sort of a more practical understanding, you know, maybe talk through a couple of different case studies or, you know, that would really indicate how you add value.
2: Sure. So that particular business, I won't name them because we haven't spoken about uh, about naming them, but um, it was a business that had, 10-year history, um, had a very good record with the customer base that it um, had been working with, repeat business over a number of years, had a, a product that was niche uh, in the oil and gas, uh, uh, primarily the coal seam gas industry, um, storing fluids, large volumes of fluids tanks. Um, and I guess it, over 10 years they had uh, taken this product um, to many different um, customers, Uh, sold many and were doing quite well, but probably had got to a point where the business, they were looking for it to grow between where it was and probably a four or five times growth um, over a a four to five-year period to then be able to realise the value that they were looking for. So they were looking for quite um, strong growth, which they hadn't really been able to achieve other than for the first two years or two or three years of their business. And um, I guess the other problems they identified was that they they were both tied to the business as owners of the business. They were both very much in the day-to-day running of the business. And that was stressful um, for them. They couldn't get away. um, And they felt like they may be limiting the growth of the business because after 10 years, uh, a lot of the ideas that they had were already in the business and and they really weren't exactly sure what the best thing to do was next. Um, so we took them through a process of, you know, understanding as I said what the shareholders were looking for. One had one is slightly younger than the other and had a bit of a longer uh, runway to run uh, and perhaps wanted uh, a particular outcome financially. Another one had a little bit less um, time to run and so. They had sort of slightly different goals, um, but both wanted growth. Um, so then, I guess, they, the, when we looked at the valuation of the business and where they wanted it, we saw the what the gap was. Um, and then we talked to the market about how you could build value and we got some guidance from people who might invest in that business in the future as to what was valuable and what wasn't. Um, and so then we set about a plan of creating that future. Um, we had that vision of what we wanted to create. And um, and I went in as the interim CEO to help the owners uh, take a step up and become board members, um, create room for a new CEO and actually create room for the management team of the business to run the business as opposed to having the owners run the business. Um, and then I engaged you through that process to then hire a new CEO in. Um, but we basically put a, a structure in place, a set of KPIs in place, that actually helped drive the growth of the business organically. Um, and then we've also put in a, a new CEO that's actually helped take the business to a new level. And we put some market entry strategies in place to be able to take the businesses into the new markets, which the new CEO has has grabbed and, and taken further. And um, so the businesses... Um, you know, they've been doubling year on year now for, for two years, which is um, along the lines of what they were wanting to achieve. Um, you know, the, the owners are far happier. They're making more money with, with using less of their time. Um, they've got a fantastic CEO that's embraced the culture of the organisation, so they've lost nothing on the culture front. And the management team have got a lot more space to to do their job and um, and are far more engaged. And so it was a fantastic outcome for that business and probably one of the most fun assignments I've, I've ever had the pleasure to do.
1: <laughs> and I actually interviewed Paul for the podcast last week and he spoke very highly of you.
2: Oh, good. So, <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> so uh, yes, uh, confidentiality, not such an issue when the incumbent CEO is uh, is freaking your name. So, uh, but no, that was it Look, for me too, I really... That was a great assignment uh, you know sitting in referring those to you. so uh, okay, so that's an example, so to just sort of give people a sort of a sense of the scope of work okay mm. so if that's one kind of thing that you do, what, yep. what would be another sort of example
2: um, so me and the team at um, at in the advisory space at in the financial will um, go in and, and help with. Setting up strategy, we do a lot of buy-side advisory work where we help businesses identify their inorganic strategy and and find businesses that are the right fit for them. Uh, we probably close, you know, six to 10 deals uh, each year on the buy and sell side. Um, so there's that buy-side piece. The, the sell-side piece is when those businesses, like the one that we were just talking about, gets to a point where the owners are looking for an exit, uh, we help them... Uh, go through a process where they find a, either a strategic investor or a private equity firm or a listing or whatever they might want to, to, to be able to liquidate the value that they've created um, and, and potentially stay part of it. Um, then there are other services where it's not a full exit, but maybe a partial exit. So some of the risk can be um, taken out by the owners. They can take some money out, but continue to grow their business or if they need an investment from an investor to be able to grow their business into different areas, it allows them, um, we we help find that capital for them and the right partner um, so that the, it's not just the the financial connection that we're making, but we're actually trying to get people that are interested in going on the same journey and and would go about it in a similar way or that are able to create value um, by working together that they couldn't create if they were working themselves by themselves. And so we're, we're, very active in that um, mergers and acquisitions market um, in that small to medium enterprise, you know, that, as I said, the 20 to sort of $200 million range.
1: Mm -hmm. So coming back to your sort of epiphany moment, you're running this very large business, thousands of people, you know, long-term significant engagements with clients, et cetera. Uh, You go to Harvard, you have a sort of a personal realisation this role obviously at interfinancial is a world apart from your traditional career that you've had at bullis and and Ascent and so on as you've developed in your role at interfinancial what are some of the skills that you think you've had to focus on developing in order to ensure you're successful i think
2: that um it, it's it's It is a massive departure and it isn't. I guess, you know, part of being at the level that I was at in those larger roles, you know, strategy development, uh, strategy execution, mergers and acquisitions, uh, post-merger integration, uh, being able to uh, develop people and support people and mentor them becomes, they're very important parts of your role. And so is, you know, customer relationships and delivering you know your budget year on year and all of those other things that you have to do in those roles. I guess, I so there are a lot of the skills that I had in those roles and that I love doing in those roles that I I still do now and I call upon those skills regularly. Mm-hmm. I think that um, also, I guess what I've used a lot of is the, just the corporate experiences. Is that sometimes in those larger organisations, you forget how well you trained. You know, um, going from. Public to private, like I did at Asenco. um going through thirteen different acquisitions while I was at Worley. Um, you know, being able to lead a business in a different culture, like I did with Worley. Um, you know, being able to work in construction and being able to communicate with people that were, you know, welders, um, you know, and financiers and customers and power companies and electric uh, and all sorts of different customers. Um, all of those skills are skills that I think. That experience has, has has served me well, and um, and quite often what we're doing at Interfinancial is bringing that corporate experience and skills and saying, look, there's there's four different ways to structure, for example, your remuneration strategy with your executives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this option has these unintended consequences and these benefits, and this one has this and that. And so, just having seen it done a few different ways offers your customers a great deal of comfort that um, because they're sitting there having never done it anyway. And, and, and they know what they want, but they don't know whether what they think of thinking about doing will actually achieve those results. So I think that I had a great start because a I had some skills, um, Mm -hmm. B I had some good training and, and C I had uh, just 20 years of corporate experience and that goes well. Mm -hmm. I think that where I, the, the skills and experience that I, I learn every day is, as you said at the start of the podcast, you know, all this jargon and all of those, all the words and terms that are used, um, they're all pretty common sense once you break them down. But I think like every industry, we make up a set of words to make ourselves, to separate ourselves from the, you know, from everybody else and to make ourselves sound more clever than we are. Right. And, um, and so, you know, I find sometimes I have to slow the conversation down just to, boil that back down to basic principles and then once yeah. I've understood those principles um I feel like I'm as good as anyone else in applying those into um into the circumstances that that I'm presented with
1: it's interesting as you said that I just had a little flashback to a memory of mine uh, that uh, I probably haven't thought about in gosh so many years my father was uh, head of the pharmacy department at UQ and uh, he, he's died quite a few years ago now but um I remember when I was uh, studying business, and I was having a conversation in front of him with somebody, you know, and kind of using these 3 letter acronyms to make myself, myself sound intelligent and yep. And afterwards, my dad saying to me, "Look, um, uh, basically, you need to talk in a common language. You know, you can't uh, basically stop being a wanker. You know, yep. and uh, and." Um, you just talking about that just made me remember that. So, uh, <laughs> thank you for bringing back that childhood memory.
2: <laughs> glad I can call you a wanker in public moments. It's uh, not every day you get to do that. <laughs> That's
1: exactly right. And so, Brad, um, you know, in terms of looking forward with the financial business, uh, you know, what are the sort of elements of that business that you're really excited about growing and developing, you know, when, you know that you're really passionate about the value that you can bring?
2: Yeah, look, it's a, it's a very interesting, uh, exciting time, isn't it, with what's going on in the world? Um, and we could talk about that all day as well. But, um, you know, I think that for me, the the most fun part of my day is finding great businesses. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious about what makes business work, Um and i get to see lots of businesses every week maybe 10 or 15 businesses i get to look at top to bottom uh from their balance sheets and their financials and their strategy and what product they're making and how they're making money out of it and all those sorts of things and i i, I don't think i'll ever tire of doing that that is just the most fun to do um and then through that process you get to meet some extraordinary entrepreneurs and people and, and i I really admire people that can find a solution that the world needs um, and find a way to commercialize it and get through all of the stresses that come with being an entrepreneur and and get on their feet and get going and so I get to hang out with some amazing people that I respect greatly and if I can in some little patch through that journey help them along because I've seen a few things that they haven't seen um, then you know I I won't say this to any of my clients but you know it feels like you know, I should be paying them. I learn as much from them as they do from me, and so it it that part's great. Um, there seems to be in australia actually we, we we're pretty hard on ourselves as far as our entrepreneurial spirit and our ability to commercialize. I think we do some amazing things and there's some great businesses that have you know conquered the world and done all sorts of things uh, and there's and there 's a whole pipeline of them coming through as well, and so we get to see those businesses and help them on their way and if we can help. Um, catch people you know, early in the journey and, and help them really understand their shareholders what they're trying to achieve and why they want to achieve that, um, and give them some guidance as to how to best do that. Um, then, you know, it's 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 the most fun I've probably ever had in my career, I think. And so, um, and there's there's plenty of opportunity to do that, and that's what we love doing.
1: And so, where you're looking at your clients' businesses and looking at the future, you know, what does the business look like in? You know five to ten years when you're looking at your own career trajectory and you know in a financial where would you like to envisage yourself? What is your preferred reality in five to ten years
2: yeah it's a, it's a great question I think that um, for me i've got a bit of learning to do and more experience to gain and i'm you know part of the the selfishness of working at uh, of my wanting to work it into financial is, is that that's accelerating my learning and so I guess. I've always uh, tried to outlearn my competition. I guess I, somebody told me very early in my career that, um, you know, you, it, it, being smart is just table stakes. You know, everybody's smart. They've all got a degree. They've all got through that stage. It's basically, you know, how quick you learn from here um, is, is really uh, defines your trajectory and so you know I'm loving um, the opportunity to work um, as interim executive in in small to medium enterprises and I'm loving the opportunity to contribute to to Interfinancials growth and both of those have you know I've got a long way to go before I feel like I you know I need something else at the moment um, for me it's, it's really feeling like um, you know I've got a short attention span and so I'll know when that that time has come Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I do enjoy the ability to uh, use skills and experience to influence businesses for good. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if I'm learning while I'm doing that, then that's me pretty happy.
1: Okay. Well, that's excellent. Final couple of questions before I let you go. So firstly, uh, we've talked a lot about business today and, you know, the fact that you love business and love learning and so on. But, you know, tell us a bit about Brad when he's not at work. What occupies your world? Uh,
2: yeah, look, I, I love sport. I I run a bit, so I do um, you know, a fair fair few half marathons, and I'm I'm working one day to to be uh, one of those one percent of people that has run a marathon. Right. Um, COVID has uh, slowed me down a little bit uh, this year, but I would have probably done one late in the year if. Um, that hadn't occurred um, and I guess a bit of a seminal experience as a kid uh, I went to a baseball game in America when I was 15 and have become a bit of a tragic for US sport so um, anybody that uh, anyone ever bumps into me you'll always get a good chat from me out of uh, baseball, basketball, NFL, hockey uh, uh, in the US. I'm, uh, and I, my bucket list uh, goal is to see a game of baseball in every stadium in America and I'm half halfway through that goal so I'm uh, ticking them off
1: well uh, and uh, married kids where's your next holiday
2: yeah uh, married with
1: three kids um, twelve fourteen and sixteen
2: year old two daughters and a son and um, uh, I don't know exactly where the next holiday will be. Um, we just came back from a holiday in Queensland like everyone else did when the, the doors were open and we were allowed out. Um, yeah. I guess probably Japan um, is is calling me. I've been there a few times and I, I'd love to share what I think is an amazing culture and country with, with my family. They haven't seen it and I've seen it twice. And uh, so uh, probably the, the next time we're allowed out, that's where we'll go next.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Um, are you an Netflix subscriber? Yes. There's an amazing show on Netflix. It's a very weird little show about this guy in Japan who has a little diner that's open from midnight until 7am. Uh, and it's about, it's about a 10-seat little restaurant and it's about the people who come in and it's very Japanese. And uh, I remember when I was in Japan sort of walking around the back streets and you'd find these tiny little sushi bars and so on. Uh, it was awesome. So, uh Okay, great. And then last thing, Brad, just to be a little self-serving here,
0: yeah.
1: um, you know, you've been involved with the uh, the Champions Forum for some time now, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, I'm really interested in if you could just share a little bit of your own experience, um, you know, how you, how you found it, what you've enjoyed out of it, you know, any kind of feedback you might have.
2: Yeah, obviously I keep coming back. I, I do enjoy it. Um, I joined it, I guess, initially because uh, I was relatively new to Brisbane and it was a, a chance to grow a network, but it was a chance to grow a network of peers. I guess I sort of left Australia being quite a, a relatively junior person and coming back being a little bit more senior in, in career status um, and uh, we 'd all acknowledge that sometimes those roles are a bit lonely and um, and that there isn't a lot of people often you can ask for advice from them and the like and I found beyond just getting to know good people in in brisbane um, it 's a fantastic opportunity in a confidential forum to be able to put a problem in the middle of the room and uh, it 's amazing how how much more clearly others can see your solution and way out than than you can. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's just that, you know, and sometimes before you've even put something out, by the time you've finished your sentence, you're almost, you know, you've almost got the diagnosis in in your answer. But, um, you know, it's a group of caring people that will keep your thing confidential uh, and are really helpful. They've got no other uh, interest other than helping you. Mm. Um, So I think that's really important. Um, I think it's also that the The concept of you know, creating a preferred reality and, and working towards a preferred reality, which you obviously go into quite a bit early on, um, you know, it actually once a month helps you just dial back into that space and I think once a month's at, you know a good interval to be able to go back and go, hang on a minute, I, I had some goals and i 've been at them for a month, and you know perhaps my energy 's wavering or i 'm getting some you know, discouragement or some encouragement or whatever, but you're able to go back to that group um, with that same sort of goal in mind and re-talk about it with the same language. And it does help just reinvigorate you for the battle again for the next month. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that when you're making transitions like like I did, but lots of people are doing um, always, um, it's nice to have a, a place that you can go that just, uh, shows you your magnetic north again every now and again. And um, so for those three reasons, uh, you know networking uh, support and um, And and focus it's been really helpful for me.
1: Oh, that's excellent. Thank you Brad. You know, I was thinking about your comments a bit earlier I think perhaps one of the reasons we got on so well is that you know You're saying I love business and I love looking at the business and I find you know uh, You know all of the things around all these unique businesses and so on so interesting well, I, I, I'm the same way about people, you know. To me, the business is kind of secondary. You know, for me, the business is your vehicle to be able to express your full potential. Whether you're a, an owner or a C-suite executive or a consultant, you know, you've chosen in this life to, you know, to reveal your creativity as an artist through business whereas you could have grown up and wanted to be an actor or a painter or whatever. But, you yep. know, and so um, uh, one of the things I like about, you know, the champions is it's it's a conversation which is not just about PL and balance sheets and business plans. And, um, and once people get in and they kind of loosen up a little bit and uh, they talk about what's really going on for them, not just, you know, the negative things, but the positive things as well. The things they're excited about are, it's just wonderful. It's so humbling to be able to sort of share the room with you know ten or twelve people who are, are very very smart and very skilled and and yet at the same still looking to grow and still looking for answers. So uh, uh, it's wonderful to have you along, Brad. It's been fantastic to have you along for the RTA podcast. Before we wrap it up, any final things that you wanted to add? Is there anything I didn't ask that you think I should have? Or any final comments?
2: Uh. No, mate, I think you've covered it. I think uh, unless you want to talk about the, the mighty kangaroos that are going to win the AFL Premiership in the next year or two. Um, but, uh, look, I, you know, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to speak today. I hope um, it was of some help to someone who was listening along and um, I you know, appreciate the, the opportunity.
1: I, I think this whole sort of PE, um, you know, kind of uh, space, it's a little bit sort of mysterious. People yeah, it can all, be, can't it? Yeah. yeah. And... Um, for those who go, oh, I've kind of heard about this sort of private equity, sort of these venture capitalists and some, but don't really understand, you know, aside from what they see on, you know, some American kind of a sitcom drama, it's yep. good to actually get a, you know, a, a sort of a look under the hood.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it can be, uh, as I said, some of the terminology um, puts people off, but um, you know, pulling the curtain back a little bit is fascinating, and so um, you know, if anyone ever wants to. Have a bit of a chat and understand it more um love to love to have a coffee
1: you can take him for a tour like around the uh the big pineapple <laughs> be around interfinancial
2: yep love to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right brad thanks again have a great night thanks
2: richard take care bye bye. bye bye
0: we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the arate podcast with richard tricks For show notes and other resources, please visit AratePodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes so you can continue your own journey towards realizing your full potential as a senior executive. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.